tired. They are all so tired. But that fire, it burns so. And so, Lucy Monroe listens and does not question and readies herself for what comes next. This is Saito Kurosawa. He has trust issues. It's hard to fault him that. His father stuck around exactly long enough to register as an absence, and no longer. He kept people at arm's length, and they tended to stand even further back than that. So how was it now that he was walking blind behind a man who had been the enemy for months, if not years, trusting that he spoke truly of a secret path into the man the Greys keep. Any time he needed a reminder as to his motives, Saito had only to open his nostrils to the stench of burned meat that filled the tunnel entire. In the time since the flames finally died down, the countless dead had at least mercifully ceased to sizzle and pop as juices bubbled and flesh boiled. But in place of such sounds, there was now only silence, the silence of a held breath that would never be exhaled. Mustafa had told the group that they must be silent, but none of them especially needed a reminder. It would have been sin to speak in such a place. Instead, they held their breaths and proceeded in their single-file line, one hand on the person-in-front soldier, step by step into the dark. Secret tunnels, the man said, disguised and guarded normally but he could lead them past the disguise, and there would surely be no guards posted anymore. Who was there to guard against? Step by step, darker and darker still, an infinite black in which to drown. Nothing to tether you to your own ongoing existence except the feeling of your hand on another shoulder and another's hand on yours. A scrap of human contact and the promise, no, the hope, that even in the midst of such darkness, there was still yet a light waiting to be found if you just trusted that yes, improbable as it seemed, this light was indeed there. Never in his life would Saito Kurosawa have believed himself capable of such a trust? 
But what else was there? What else was left? Onwards they crept, step by step. This is Mustafa Green. He cannot believe his actions even as he performs them. Here he is, wrenching open the panel that leads from the secret sewer tunnel and into his former station. He used to spend his evenings in that chair, his feet up on that desk. Over on the cabinet is the dented CD player that had been the only amenity that he had allowed the Mamic Ray to provide for him. Everything else ever offered, Mustafa turned down flat. You could take the good cop out from beneath the yellow sun and stick him beneath the black one set into a gray slate sky. But that didn't change the kind of man he was. Or perhaps it did. Because Mustafa watched himself point the outliers to the chest where confiscated weapons or weapons-esque items were kept. And he cannot believe it. He never should have accepted that goddamn CD player. It barely ever worked right. Plenty of those dents had been applied by his own hands as he tried to slap and shake the thing back into proper function. And even when it did work, it wasn't like there was an overabundance of CDs to choose from. But he had managed to put together a decent enough playlist in spite of such limitations. One particular compilation, Great Soul Songs of the 70s, had been a special treat. Even the worst of the teeny bopper bullshit could become islands of relief in the midst of the day-to-day -day madness of the city beneath the black sun. Even as the guilt of accepting what he could only perceive as a bribe never fully went away, there were times when he could set that aside. When his feet were up on that desk and the CD player was playing some soft soul song, his own wavering tone-deaf voice singing along and conjuring back the golden days, some drunk in the tank joining in as well, Nights like that, he could set aside this shame and not feel like he was betraying his promise to his father. Just be one of the good ones, the old man had said. Not rising up from the recliner, not looking away from the TV to regard his son in his sparkling dress blues. Nothing left to say, nothing else to scream at one another. Just be one of the good ones. Mustafa does not take part in what comes next, but this does nothing to ease the sick feeling in his gut as the outliers put the plan in motion, put his plan in motion. He cannot believe he caused this.
he cannot believe he did this, is doing this. Blood pours from the steps overhead like syrupy waterfalls. A perfume of freshly cut metal surrounds and threatens to suffocate him. How could he have done this? What the fuck has he done and how could he have done it? And then he thinks of Terry. Terry, the boy who could not love more if he was his own son. The two of them pulling each other back from the brink again and again. Of despair, of death, you name it. They had faced it and had half led, half dragged each other past it. And even as the guilt over masterminding this bloodbath will never fully go away, Mustafa Green no longer sees his actions as betrayal. He had to choose the boy or the rest of the world. He chose the boy. And he always would choose the boy, no matter how many times that question was put to him. And that he can believe. This is Claudia Ray's. When she swings the crowbar into a skull, she imagines that it is her stepfather's head that she is caving in. By the third guard she helps incapacitate, she doesn't even need such a device. The motion is easy. The wet thud of metal on meat is satisfying. This is Mark Driscoll. He hangs back while the others do the blunt work. There are footsteps approaching on the stairwell, and so he stows his compact body in an alcove not easily spotted. The kid running down the stairs is just that, a kid. It doesn't matter. He's holding a custom weapon, marking him cleanly as one of the enemy, but honestly, that doesn't matter much either. It could have been the Virgin Mary or his own mother coming around that corner, and the results would have been the same. Mark Driscoll stabs. The boy is shocked, the blood is warm, and Mark Driscoll stabs again. This is Kelly Abrams. She's never developed a taste for violence. Her palate has greatly expanded of late. Her blonde hair is soaked red, her face coated in war paint of meat and gore. She is the first through the door at the targeted level, and so she is the first to take a bullet, her eye evaporating into mist and spray as the missile connects. This is the city within the city, coming to bleary waking at the sound of a gun being fired. It has been so long, and that shot sounded so close. 
This is the wrath of the other, of the others, of the outliers, a wrath which will not relent, no, never again. This is them tearing into the appointed floor where their target waits, coated in blood and wielding their weapons, not caring as muzzle flashes fill the hall and metal death explodes at them. This is Lucy Monroe leaking her brains onto the clean shag carpet, her dreams all spilling unobserved. This is Saito Kurosawa, not caring about the javelin of pain arcing from his arm. In three lunges, he has crossed the hall, and the sound of his pipe-cracking skull is music, sweet music. This is former police officer, former head order officer, Mustafa Green, wrestling the pistol out of the hands of Kenny Wadlow. He knows Kenny. He likes Kenny. He trained Kenny and told the young man he had quite a future. At the time he said it, he meant it. None of that stops him from taking that gun out of Kenny Wadlow's hands, pointing it square at the man's stunned face, and opening a third eye in his forehead. And this is Betsy Overby, standing stunned in her foyer as the door is kicked open. The living dead she had presumed buried for good stalk into her apartment, led by Mustafa and the gun in his steady hand. You can't be here, is all she can think to say. One of the intruders flexes the glistening fingers holding a knife. Kill her. Kill her now. Not in private, Mustafa says. She'll face what she's done. Her and McRae both. At the name of her employer, of her savior, Betsy Overby snaps back to focus. You'll be wiped out before you get to him, she says. He's got double the security I do. Yeah, I know, Mustafa replies. That's why we're not going to get him. Cassandra is. This is Betsy Overby, her stomach now in knots. God, she hasn't been this scared in so long. Wasn't the whole point of power to ensure you never had to feel this ever again. She looks around the crowd. Where is Cassandra? She asks. Mustafa grins. She took a shortcut. This is the woman Cassandra. She's come a long way. She still has a ways to go. 
Different things have fueled her at different points in her journey. For a long time, there was survival. And for a long time, there was fear. Things like that. For a while there, she had a love, and that was enough. Now, there is the rage. Later, there will be cooler heads and rational thought and deeper considerations. But now there is the rage. This is the woman Cassandra above the world. Terry has gotten stronger since the last time he carried her. Their flight does not dip once. She asks him what he sees with his eyes so keen in the dark, and he tells her that the penthouse is full of activity. Guards are checking walkies, readying weapons. In the center of this indoor storm, the man McRae, her father in his favorite fluffy bathrobe. The gargoyle says, It's now or never. She replies, now, he flies high and drops fast. Cassandra half expects to bounce off the glass harmlessly, but the window gives way and she's rolling across the floor and the closest guard is turning and she is up, the sickle blade is flashing, his throat is open and spraying. Now the guards are all turning. They are well trained, they are fast but they do not have the rage. Oh no, not her rage. The sickle blade does not stop flashing. Bodies fall, hands clutching at gaping wounds or hands dropping useless to the rug. But there are so many of them, it might be too much. Even with her fury, it still might be too much. And that's when Terry comes screeching in through the whole Cassandra tour, wings clasped around him like a cape. He goes at them with tooth, with claw, parting flesh to reveal viscera, the way you might part drapes to allow in the morning light. At last, the penthouse knows no more violence. There are wails and gasps and cries. Terry draws in huge breaths, trying to calm the frenzy from his lungs. God, that felt so right. Cassandra is already calm. She steps to her father. The gore is so thick on the ground, it soaks through her sneakers and into her socks. She looks down on her father pale and thin in his favorite fuzzy bathrobe. He looks up at her, his eyes filled with tears and his ruined mouth trying for something to say. It's okay, Dad, Cassandra says. It's over. And the sickle blade flashed once more.
Hello, and thank you for listening to another new episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brennan Foley, and I write, produce, and record the show. Black Sun Dispatches is, like I said, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. Uh, it's a really cool collective of a huge variety of really awesome podcasts uh, that you can find at the Cinepunks web on the Cinepunks website, uh, along with lots of really cool writing from a, again a great variety of writers. Uh, on a huge variety of subjects. Regardless of what you're into, I can promise that there's something that you're going to enjoy. So go there, listen, read, do my bidding. uh, Cinepunk's programming is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, so please hit them up for all your cool clothing needs. Cinepunk's is also sponsored by our Patreon, which you can find on the Cinepunk's website, so please go there and give us your money. You don't have to, but we... We really do want your money, so so give us that. For updates and news about the show, follow us at Black Sun Show. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at the true Brendan F. That's at Black Sun Show and at the true Brendan F. Uh, the music in this week's episode is Winter by E.L. Heath, and the Black Sun Special logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. Let's aim to have the next episode out on December 16th. Uh, it's a short turnaround time we normally do, but uh, with the holidays coming up and kind of situated in the middle of the week, I want to make sure that uh, the episode is done and out before things get too crazy. Um, so yeah, so I will see you guys back here December 16th for our final episode of the year and the last episode of the Civil War arc. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series, I hope you enjoy this week's episode, and I hope you'll be there next month uh, for the next installment. Alright, thank you guys. Bye-bye.